Last week, if you were here, you remember we kind of took a deep dive examining the DNA of this church. And if you were to take a, a look at that DNA, you would find that we exist to love God, connect others, and to make disciples. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go to ncclex.info or our Facebook page. Check out that talk. You can, you'll get a whole lot more than just what I'm going to say in this moment. Today what I want us to do, though, is look at this list of guardrails. I've called them guardrails because they help to keep us on the mission, on the road moving forward into what God has called us to do. Guardrails are a system that has been designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. They keep you on the road. Our values are the guardrails that keep Northeast focused on our mission. Here at Northeast, our values are a set of guiding principles that apply all across this organization. They support how our mission gets carried out. Our values guide us on how things should be done and reflect on what is important to us as a church. Today, I want to give you a brief overview. Last week, we took a deep dive into the mission. This week, we only have time to do a brief overview of what the values are that support the mission. We're going to take a look at our guardrails this morning. The guardrail number one is biblical authority. It may be the most important of all the guardrails. And I promise you, we will always be true to this. When you think about the Bible, it is our authority in all areas of faith and practice while we strive to help everyone to understand it and to apply it to their lives. Most everybody has a Bible. Some of you got a copy when you were born. Some of you got a copy given to you or you bought one when you started attending church. I have numerous copies. Many of you have multiple copies. I have no idea how many copies of the Bible. I'm guessing I have somewhere between 25 and 30, somewhere around there. Most of them are different translations. And I'm a little bit kind of weird about it. I don't like stacking books on top of it. And I, I cherish them. I treat them as though they're highly valued to me. And when I retire one, it goes on a shelf in my office uh, because I got so much learning and, and uh, growth that came from that spending time in that copy of Scripture. And I want to value it. When I was just an intern, 1981, seems like 100 years ago, I was an intern, my very first position where I got paid for doing ministry. And when I say paid, it wasn't a lot, but I was an intern at Southland Christian Church, and Wayne Smith was still the, the lead guy there, and I was in awe of him. I, I, was, I couldn't hardly talk a lot of times when I was around him. And one day he came to my office, which wasn't really an office. It was a cubicle that I shared with the copy machine. And I was the guy making copies. You know, people they jammed. I was the guy that helped everybody, you know. So I was a minister, youth minister and copy expert. And Wayne came to my little cubicle, and he, he made a comment about my expansive library, which was five Bibles on the front of my desk. And I don't know what I was thinking. I just said, well, I have five Bibles because I'm very spiritual. You know, it's like the dumbest thing you could ever say, right? But when I thought about it, it was really true because if a youth minister has five Bibles, that means they are pretty spiritual, right? 
most youth ministers, anyway, if you've been around a youth minister, you know what I'm talking about. Let me talk to you about the Bible and the influence it has in our culture. 87% of American homes have at least one Bible in their home. There are more than 168,000 Bibles purchased or given on any given day in the United States. There are 20 million Bibles that will be sold this year in the U.S., Nearly half, that's 49% of Americans, strongly agree that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know and live a meaningful life. Even non-Christians own Bibles. In fact, a Bible can be found in more than two out of three or, or 68% of non-Christian homes. It's amazing. The Bible's actually excluded from the book bestseller list every year because it would be number one every single year. The version is the top downloaded Bible app with over 100 million downloads and counting. If you don't have the version app on your phone, you should get it. It is phenomenal. Now, these stats indicate that the Bible is wildly popular year after year after year. And the question is, why is that? Let me give you one last stat that I think explains it. Six out of ten U.S. adults, that's 58%, believe that the message of the Bible has, and I quote, transformed their lives, unquote. Research reveals that the Bible has a profound impact when a person engages with it. Paul explains it this way, saying that he believes that is true, this engagement. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is different than any other book, period. In fact, we often refer to it as the Word of God. That's a pretty profound title. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is flawless. And if it is the word of God, then we recognize it is perfect. John Stott, renowned Bible scholar, said, There is indeed a wide variety of human authors and themes in the Bible. Yet behind these, there, is, there lies a single divine author with a single unifying theme. And he's right. The Bible contains 66 books written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, and yet it tells one big story of God's plan of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. You and I couldn't pass a secret from one person to a next around a circle of 12 people and end up with the same message that we started with. And yet over 1,500 years by 40 different authors, this message is unified. The unity of the Bible is unique from all other books, and it gives the evidence of the divine origin of these words that God moved ordinary men to record. Guardrail number one, biblical authority. And I promise you, we will never depart from that. That is our source of truth. There is nothing you need to hear from me that is from me personally about me. But you need to hear everything God has to say. And that's the source of it. The second guardrail is relational evangelism. Going beyond our walls in and into the community to love others and share the good news with the hope that they will become fully committed followers of Christ. That's our definition of relational 
evangelism. This value reminds us that we need to share the awesome news of God's love and forgiveness to everyone who hasn't yet yielded to following Jesus. Paul writes in Colossians 4, verses 4 through 6, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Guardrail number two, relational evangelism. Guardrail number three, intentional discipleship. Our definition is we will intentionally dig our spiritual wells deep through study, prayer, and relationships. And again, the Word of God is going to be centrally focused in this area as well. As a student at Cincinnati Bible College, I was invited to participate in a discipleship group that was led by one of my professors. His name was Bob Stacy. One evening, every week, we would meet in Bob's basement to study the Bible. And we'd discuss the Bible. He would have a, a study for us. We would discuss the text. And then we would talk about how to apply it in our lives. I remember one night in particular, we talked about prayer. Bob shared scripture on prayer. And I remember thinking, I don't know that I've ever thought this deeply about prayer. I realized that I probably never really thought that much about it ever. I prayed, but I never really thought about all the, the aspects of what Scripture teaches about it until that evening. There were several of those kinds of meetings that had a profound impact on my development and growth as a Christian. That is due to one man, Bob Stacy who took the initiative to intentionally disciple me and dozens of other young men who would be preachers all over the world. I'll forever be grateful for that. Colossians 1.28 says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. It is through intentional discipleship that we have the opportunity to impact people right now in their growth, in their relationship with God, helping them to grow to be all that they can be. But not just that. You see, as we disciple them, we have the opportunity to influence the next generation and the next generation because as we hand the baton of the gospel and the message of making disciples off to them, they're going to in turn begin making disciples of the next generation and the generations to come. Guardrail number three, intentional discipleship. Guardrail number four, purposeful environments. The definition we give is we value culturally relatable environments that cultivate an encounter with Jesus. Warm, welcoming, purposeful environments create opportunities for people to connect with God. When you think about it, when you and I are unified in our mission, we can be intentional to create environments that will help facilitate others to connect with Jesus. You see, when it's not all about me, but it's more about them, we can create environments to help facilitate them connecting with Jesus. There's a great example of this in Acts, the fourth chapter. 
There's a group of believers that gathered together and they were saying, what we are a part of right now is very rare and we can't do this without the help of the Holy Spirit. They said, God, will you please guide our steps? And then it literally says the ground beneath their feet shook and the Holy Spirit filled them and they continued to speak the word of God with holiness. That leads to this little statement that we find in, in Acts, the fourth chapter, verse 32 and following. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Pause just for a second. Think about what can happen when everybody's pulling the same direction. That's what was happening here. All the believers were united together in heart and in mind. He goes on, he says, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. Push pause again. Not only were they unified, but they were exercising this incredible generosity for the sake of the kingdom. They were creating this environment that was unified and generous. And then see what the result is in verse 33. It says, the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. Here's what I want you to notice about what we just read. It says that these people, these believers, were united in heart and mind first, and then these people shared generously, secondly, which then set the apostles up to testify powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words, the unity and the warmth of the people, in addition with the generosity of these believers, is what set the stage for the message to be communicated with power and clarity, and effectiveness. We could say it this way. The environment that was built on unity and generosity magnified the message of the gospel. When you and I are unified and we're generous, we will create these purposeful environments for people to have a connection and encounter with Jesus Christ. One of the great areas around here is our children's ministry. They illustrate this so well. Children's ministry is a great physical example, not just a spiritual example of purposeful environments that can impact the message. If you've ever walked through the children's ministry area, you know that it was created with kids in mind. Now, don't think you can just walk over there and walk in. They stopped me one Sunday. And I said, I wasn't preaching that day, and I thought, I just want to tour over there. And I walked over there, and they said, where do you think you're going? And I go, in there. And they go, you don't have the right badge on. And I go, do you know who I am? <laughs> Todd Ballard taught me that. And I said, I said, I can go in. They said, no one goes past us without the right, or the right badge on. So I marched over and got the right badge. And I walked back and go, I got the badge, you know. And so I walked in. And then it wasn't as much fun in there, you know. I was trying to sneak through. Part of what makes that thing so great is the security that they have over it. It's clean, it's efficient, but it's so much more than that. Ministry areas in children, as you know, were created with kids in mind. The rooms and the programming are engaging to kids. In fact, one Sunday morning a few years ago, I was standing right out here at the door greeting people as they were leaving, and there was a mom who was pulling her preschool-age son 
through the hallway, and literally he was like skiing behind her on his heels. He did not want to go. He was fussing. He was fighting every step of the way. And I said to this mom, I said, is everything okay? Is there anything I can do to help? And she looked at me like a mom of a preschooler can do, and she said, he doesn't want to leave the train room. <laughs> I mean, she'd had it up to here with the train room, the train room, the train room. But she went on to explain this was one of their first times here, and he had an amazing experience. He just didn't want to leave. Warm, welcoming, purposeful environments create opportunities that people don't want to leave. Opportunities where people will have a chance to encounter a life-changing experience with Jesus Christ. Purposeful environments, guardrail number four. Guardrail number five, committed community. You saw the video earlier in the service. Simply put, we need each other. We're better together. Community is the framework where we develop relationships that we can always count on. When we face crisis, it's the people in our community who give us support. You know, a lot of things, the Bible says uh, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And it's easy, I think, to weep with just about anybody, right? I mean, unless you're a hardcore, callous human being. Most of us, we have a little bit of mercy for someone. But when somebody's rejoicing, and you know, they kind of are excelling, and they got blessed, and all that kind of thing, and they're up here, it's kind of hard to, to celebrate with them. But people within your scope of community, especially a biblical community, they're going to be the people who say, way to go. Thank you, God, for blessing them. They're going to celebrate with you. Ecclesiastes says this in 4 verses 9 and 10, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. There was a story this week that illustrates this really well. You probably saw it on, in the media or social media. A Memphis, Tennessee high school student who said he'd been bullied his entire life received the opposite kind of treatment thanks to the acts of kindness of two fellow students. This happened at MLK College Preparatory High School in Memphis, Tennessee. Two football players saw one of their classmates being bullied for wearing the same clothes day after day after day. So they jumped in to help. Christopher Graham and Antoine Garrett gathered up some of their own clothes and a new pair of shoes to give to freshman Michael Todd. Michael Todd, when interviewed by the local news, said, I don't really have clothes at home. My mom can't buy clothes for me because I'm growing too fast. Christopher Graham, one of the one of the guys that jumped in said, when I saw people laugh at him and bullying him, I felt like I needed to do something. At a time when bullying has led to higher rates of suicide, every kid needs to know that they matter. They need to know that they count, that they belong. And that's what Michael Todd felt, maybe for the first time in a long time, because of two guys who said, not on our watch, not in our community. Are we going to let this happen? And they not only stopped the bullying, but they took care of a need. When you're part of a community where you know that you count and that people count on you being there, that changes everything. Committed community. Guardrail number five. Guardrail number six. 
gifted service. We define that as we will always look for ways to contribute rather than consume. Our mission is more about them who don't know Jesus than it is about us who do. Now, there are parts of that where when you get dinged up and you're struggling or we're hoping that you're going to grow to be a fully devoted follower, that is about you. But there is a huge chunk of this mission that is all about them. 1 Corinthians 12, 5 says this about gifted service. There are different kinds of service to God, but it is the same Lord we are serving. When we choose to follow Jesus and we're baptized into his name, we have our sins washed away and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling presence of the Almighty God takes up residence in the heart of the Christian And the Holy Spirit equips every believer with a gift or maybe with multiple gifts to facilitate the ministry that God has called his church to. Using these gifts helps to accomplish the mission that Jesus gave us to make disciples of all nations. You've probably heard the old saying, many hands make light work, which means even a difficult task becomes easy if enough people help to complete it. And that could never be more true than here in the church. It's so true. When everyone uses his or her gifts to serve, then the expansion of the kingdom of God is more efficient and more effective. Never think for one second that the church doesn't need you because you do matter. And you have a unique gifting. God has wired you in a unique way And that matters to how things get done around here. So don't think for one second, oh, it's a big place, they don't need me. Because that's just not true. Guardrail number six, gifted service. Guardrail number seven, we finally arrived at the end of the list. Some of you are going, seven things, really? I told you to be fast. Number seven, joyful generosity. The definition is we will lead the way with the kind of generosity that only makes sense in light of God's grace. When you think about what God has done, we want to live generous lives that are commensurate to that. Now, we'll never reach the level that he gave, but we can strive to be as generous as we possibly can because we've been the recipients of the grace of God. Paul was going to Corinth soon, and so he sent a letter ahead of him. It's called 2 Corinthians And he sent this letter ahead to make sure that the arrangements for an offering were taken care of before he arrived. See, previously, the Corinthian church had committed to giving an offering to help these brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, Christians in Jerusalem, who are suffering severe poverty. Paul was saying he really shouldn't have to write this letter about this topic. They should be eager to help their brothers and sisters who are in in desperate need. But... He recognized that some of these people had been sidetracked by false teachers who were accusing Paul of ministering just for the sake of getting money. And so Paul sends some men ahead with this letter so that when Paul arrives, this offering will already have been collected. The Corinthians may have promised to support the Christians in Jerusalem, so they needed to keep their promise and follow through. And if people showed up to collect this offering and it hadn't been completed, it would have been a huge embarrassment to the church. 
Also, the Apostle Paul reminds him, God wants them to give in a way that demonstrates their faith in God. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 puts it this way, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Why is that? Why do you think that is, that God loves a cheerful giver? Well, I think cheerfully can't be faked. I think cheerfully shows authenticity. Cheerfully shows the condition of a person's heart. So in order to honor God, we should give cheerfully. Guardrail number seven, joyful generosity. Well, that's the quick overview of our guardrails that we use to keep us focused on the mission. They keep us from getting off of the road that God has called us to, to run on. Our values are important to us in a lot of different ways, but one last way is this. Our values show to those around us what is important to us. You think about that list, those are things that are important to the follower of Christ. Others will never value Northeast unless the Northeast owners value it first. The way you and I engage the church, which is called the Bride of Christ, this is, God's, this is God's vehicle for his mission to reach the world. The way you and I engage the church will have a profound impact on how others engage the church as well. And when the world sees that we're all in to fulfill this mission that Jesus gave us, and they see that we are truly believers in the fact that we have hope for those who are hopeless, and then they will see that we don't want anyone to miss out on spending eternity with God in heaven. And when they show up here, they'll see that Northeast is a place where they truly matter, that we miss them when they're not here. They matter to us because they matter to God. And you know, if all of those things seem to happen in the process, it is very probable that they may choose to follow Jesus as well. And that's what it's all about. Let's pray together. Lord, I am thankful for these values that you have given to us to help keep us on our mission. Lord, help us to burn with white hot fire to make disciples that make disciples that will make disciples. This is the mission that you've called the church to for the last 2,000 years, and you went from a handful, 120, to now literally billions of people down through the centuries and become followers of yours. And God, we wanna be part of that. This series, Knowing Who We Are, looking at our DNA, gives us knowledge and understanding, but none of that really matters if we don't put it into practice. So help us to live lives that are guided by the values that we've talked about this morning. God, we wanna live out this mission every single day. I pray that for every believer, every follower of Jesus here today. And God, this isn't just about 
those of us, those who are outside of this room, it is about the people in this room as well. And I know that every time we come together, there's, there are a group of people who come and they just limp in, into this place. They have had a rough week. Maybe they've lost a job. Maybe they've been battling financial difficulties or relational problems or parenting issues. And, and they're, they are threadbare, ready to throw in the towel. God, I pray that they know that this isn't, this isn't about somebody we don't know yet at the risk of it not being about them because we do care. And I pray, God, for folks who may need somebody to pray with them, somebody to just share some life with them. I'd be happy to do that, God. I just pray you give them courage to come down, call this week, email. Let's get together. Let's work on running this race together for a while. Lord, I'm also mindful of the folks that this is about them reaching a place where they say, you know what, I think I want to follow Jesus too. So if you're here and you're outside that family of God, I pray today would be the day you'd say, hey, you know what, I'd love to talk to somebody a little further about what it means to be part of God's family, follow him. Lord, I pray that you will move in a mighty way today in the hearts of your people as we take the gospel from this room into our lives through this week, that there is a hope and a prayer that lives will be changed as a result of that. We ask this in the name of Jesus.